Extension Podcast. I am Matt Cranstuber with Ruben Bressler. What's going on, everybody? Hey, Ruby. What's what's new, buddy? Well, I am uh, I'm hanging out at home this weekend. Uh, my girlfriend came in to visit me, so I'm just uh, kicking back. And uh, of course, Joey is in Indianapolis at Star City Indy. That's right, at the biggest Star City Games Open ever. <laughs> and he's on like two hours of sleep. They finished the semi or the quarterfinals at what, like two in the morning last night, and then yeah, and then and the day two started. Well, oh, then daylight savings <laughs> happened, right? It yeah. was an even bigger blowout. And then day two started early because it was an 11-round tournament. Unbelievable. So they did the entire top eight in the morning. Wow. That's uh, that's pretty serious. I can barely just stay up until two in the morning, let alone commentate all day, then get up three and a half hours later and go do it again. So big, yeah, I mean, big props to Joey for being a trooper. Props to there. Joey and Shaheen and Glenn and all the all the directors that are there and the whole the whole team. Yeah, uh, it's it's rough. Not even just the commentary team, events and the buyers and all those all those good people that I work with that are. Uh, Trying to make it through this weekend, yet another record-breaking weekend. Well, luckily they're in a good spot because Indianapolis is like pr- probably my favorite destination city for Magic tournaments. At least you know just because it's easy for me to get to. Absolutely, uh, so well, much food and the, yeah, the, the convention center is insane. Yeah, the place is designed to just have conventions. Yeah. So uh, and of course Gen Con's there, and I'm already starting my Gen Con countdown. I was trying to talk Stoddard into going. He said that it's a, it's a tough one, just like, you know, of course, you know, working at Star City to get off because everybody wants to go to it. So I said, all right, 2014, mark it on your calendar. We're going to, you know, do degenerate things and have a good sure. time. So In Contention is the official podcast of the StarCityGames.com Open Series. And this weekend, the Open Series comes to Washington, D.C. with $10,000 prize pools in both the Standard and Legacy Opens. If you can't be there, be sure to tune in to SCGLive.com. It has Joey Pasco and Adrian Sullivan with Ruben Bressler and the Cyborg bringing you all the action. The Twitter hashtag on the weekend is SCGDC, so you can use that to join in on the discussion. And, of course, if you can't make it out, be sure to check out an Invitational Qualifier tournament near you. Go to the StarCityGames.com Open Series page for a complete listening, listing at StarCityGames.com slash SCGOP. That's right. And we, there's also uh, another classic, which uh, the classics have been picking up in popularity. I think that... Um, they're certainly not going to be as as exciting as an open because you know what is, but uh, but they're they're picking up in popularity. And this weekend we're coming to Birmingham, Alabama. Birmingham. That hashtag is going to be SCGBIRM. I haven't I haven't been to a classic yet, so hopefully they'll. They're good times. Usually they uh, they're in slightly smaller cities, um, and Ohio, which is where you're at, is uh, has no no dearth of of. Uh, Cities that are small. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I expect um, so maybe, like a Dayton or something maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dayton or Toledo sure. are probably the two most likely ones to get to go to Ohio. Although for the most part, we, we put classics uh, around closer to Star City Games. Sure. Just because they're smaller events. Yeah. But, uh, the, you know, the, the, in addition to – you can find out all that information also at SCG.com or StarCityGames.com slash SCGOP for all of the classics, as well as open trials. I don't know if you've been to an open trial yet. Yeah, uh, um, our local shop, Comic Town, has been running open trials. How they been? How they been doing? Uh, I, as far as I know, they've been going pretty well. We ran one at a PTQ the other day, but uh, nice. yeah, it was good. So anyway, um, we got some stuff to talk about. We have 
a ton of people battling standard in different areas of the world. And uh, that's going to be sort of our primary area of focus. So we have at the top of the list, Star City Indy, the largest Star City tournament that's ever been held. And then GP Verona, also the standard format. And then GP Rio de Janeiro with uh, uh, more standard funds. So we're talking um, the combined number of players battling it out at high-level Magic's uh, playing standard is about 3,000 on the weekend. Wow. Which is pretty cool. Um, I, you know, that's... That's no uh, Charlotte, you know, numbers sure. having everybody one place. But, you know, thinking all those people playing all over the world, not to mention all of the local events and stuff. I mean, this game is just freaking huge. It's, yeah, it's, we're living in the golden age of Magic right now. It, yeah, it's pretty awesome. But, uh, you know, it, it's like every t- every time I think that the, that threshold doesn't get, get isn't going to get pushed, it gets pushed. It gets right. pushed again. And... I mean, when, when's going to come the time that we're going to see, like, you know, someone's going to rent out the Indiana Convention Center to do a Grand Prix or something, and 5,000 people are going to show up? Hey, we're not that far away. So, we're not. I mean, someday, <laughs> someday, we're going to come to a Magic Tournament, and we've already, all, all of us have already been to a PTQ or a GP where, hey, more people than we expect to show up. Looks like we got to find more chairs. Mm-hmm. And so far, we've always found more chairs. Yeah, what happens when you can't? You know, people exactly. gotta people gotta it's gonna happen one play day, on the probably. floor or I, something. It's gonna happen one day, and it's gonna be that's gonna be an interesting interesting event. It's such crazy variants too I've for TOs. On the floor, so, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I prefer to play Magic on the floor, but um, sure. did, think about being a TO and you know having to run these events, right? So let's say let's say you're in just a reasonable city in the Midwest. And, uh, you know, you've, you've, you're a TO and you're assigned to run an event. You know, do you book out a hall that can hold 2,000 people or 6,000 people? I mean, it's just it's yeah. like, with, well, you know, the way that Charlotte went, you know, who know? I don't know what the guys at, you know, Star City thought as far as projection. But, you know, that would be pretty, that would be pretty wild if you, if you only booked room for, you know, 2,500 players and all of a sudden you have 3,500 players. I mean, that's yeah. like a... The, you know, forty percent increase in the the size that you'd have to have. So that's kind of you, you got to give props to the tos. You know, all of you know all over the country and all over the world, really, for being able to account for this stuff because that's just nuts. Yeah, I don't know if um, if Yokohama and and uh, Charlotte were outliers because they were crazy numbers like that's no. those are just absurd numbers as well especially for yokohama i mean that's especially for they're yokohama. on they're they're literally on an island i mean yeah <laughs> yeah exactly and then like this weekend we sort of came back to earth with our numbers we have a little over 700 in rio and a little over 1200 in verona but you know who knows when the next enormous who knows maybe germany is pretty centrally located, or France. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just ridiculous number event. Well, well didn't Madrid previously had the the record for the Madrid largest? Madrid previously had the record, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, mean, I wouldn't be surprised. That, I believe it was Paris. Yeah, I mean, I definitely wouldn't be surprised if the next record-breaking attendance was in one of those cities. Um, yeah. You know, it, 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 I'll be kind of curious to see how they restructure the, the you know, when they announce the pro play um, restructuring in April to see how Grand Prix kind of affect, you know, being a grinder. And, uh, you know, so if they incentivize it further, 
you know, obviously, you know, there are a lot of people saying that that's not really going to make a big difference in the grand scheme of things. People will still show up to Grand Prix, but, you know, if they make it so that pros do want to go to Grand Prix and grinders do want to go to Grand Prix, um, you know, we could see some huge numbers. So I wouldn't be surprised if this announcement this time around isn't going to be anything like that, just because I just don't, I don't know that Watsy knows what they're going to do with these numbers. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, it's certainly a, um, it's certainly a tricky situation for Helene and company, but, uh, they haven't yet. So I'm not too worried. They'll figure out what the right answer is. Yeah. I'm sure they, you know, sitting around a table. Wouldn't that be just like the best, you know, you, you of course get to experience some of this, but, uh, I, I, when I'm sitting in meetings and, and doing things that are kind of mundane, sometimes I'm like, uh, whatever, but I can't imagine, you know, being at a conference room and, and talking about, okay, so let's talk about magic tournament size. This is our, this is our problem. We yeah. have too many people showing up exactly. to our events. This is what we referred to as a zeroth world problem when <laughs> Charlotte was going on. Yeah. Literally no one has this problem. Yeah, no doubt. All right. So of course, standard is what we're going to be talking about today. Yep. You know, we had the, the big news of the day. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of cool stuff happening in standard this weekend and uh, a lot of different environments, a lot of different, you know, people playing different decks and we're seeing some pretty interesting stuff float to the top. So why don't we start in Indy? Uh, of course, you know, like we said, the largest tournament, uh, star city open tournament that's ever been had at 774 people battling out over 11 rounds of standard, and uh, so we have the top 16 decks here, and there's a couple that are just immediately, you know, stand out as being not not odd, but just something that we haven't seen yet that we've talked in the show that we think that you know this is a this is a card that you need to be on the lookout for, and that is Prime Speaker. Uh, yep. So uh, why don't we, Ruby? Why don't you uh, rifle through one of these lists and talk about you know how does this kind of differ from the traditional Bant lists we see, and why the heck did this you know top eight? In, uh, in the largest tournament ever. Like, what makes it so good? Well, yeah, it, it won the largest uh, classic ever last week in the hands of Andrew Shrout, who showed up this week with the same list and got many people on the same prime speaker bandwagon uh, this week, uh, including notable Adam Prozac, and also second-place finisher, finisher Chris O'Brien with prime speaker Bant. Um, prime speaker Bant is different from the traditional Bant lists in that the traditional Bant lists are, at their core, Thrag Tusk and Sphinx's Revelation decks. Sure, sure. This deck still has a lot of, of Thrag Tusks, but instead of Sphinx's Revelation, has Draw Engines of Prime Speaker Zagana and Garrick Primal Hunter. Mm. Um, and in order to take advantage of those cards instead of things like Sphinx's Revelation... Uh, you don't necessarily need to hit every land drop for the rest of the game in this version, whereas you do to make Sphinx's Revelation relevant. All you really need to do to make this, to make Prime Speaker relevant, is to get to six and have a big guy on board. Sure. So the the uh, interaction between, especially with Restoration Angel and Prime Speaker Zagana, is a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also start looping your Prime Speakers with Angel Serenity. Mm. And in order to make sure you always have a target, or not a target, in order to always have a body on the battlefield, you have uh, a couple of Garricks, Primal Hunter, and then a Singleton Garrick Relentless, 
as well as uh, lots of mana dorks like Arbor Elf. Yeah. And large creatures with good abilities, such as Loxodon Smiter, Angel of Serenity, and whatnot. Yeah. Um, Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know, this reminds me a lot of, you know, BBD's old Nihilist, you know, and what it's trying to do, right? So his his Nihilist essentially was Manadorks and Gavany Township, and then, you know, sort of playing into larger threats later in the game. And, of course, the threats basically just kind of got swapped out, you know, Prime Speaker Zagana being sort of the the pillar, the, the cornerstone of the deck. Uh, but really, to me, this looks like a Gavany Township deck. It does. And so, uh, Chris is running three Gavany Townships in his his list here. The The main difference for me is that Prime Speaker Bant care, uh, wants to draw cards, mm-hmm. whereas uh, his old Nia list was just kill you before your opponent can draw cards. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, I... I like that. I like that Prime Speaker Zagana's coming to the top. It's a little. I mean, I feel like it's just a, a function of the environment, really, because um, I think it was sometime in the last few weeks. Of course, we did talk about a list very similar to this uh, in a previous episode. But I mean, Saito was brewing with Prime Speaker Zagana, and I there was a, a named pro. I I can't think of him off the top of his head, but he said, you know, I played the deck. I did well with it, but the deck's not very good. Mm-hmm. So you know, I don't know what it is that sort of changes that direction and makes makes this something that's good in in the current environment i mean do you i mean it's, it's just because we're seeing less wraths i mean this this well, deck largely just doesn't i mean this deck does not like getting dissipated right um, I, I don't know um i think that jund came to the forefront is one of the big things that happened um jund sort of preyed on the metagame of everyone sort of coming to the middle Sure. Um, and then once once the metagame sort of started spreading out again, like uh, you got the super, super aggressive Naya Blitz decks, and then you got the combo decks starting to come back with Undercity Informer, and then the super controly Esper decks, and then Jun sort of fell away again, and something needed to fill that void. And the thing that can fill the mid-range void the best is the deck that draws the most cards. Sure. That's, sure. that's, that's at least the way that I feel about it. Also... Um, in a Boros Reckoner metagame, people were looking at the best ways to kill Boros Reckoner, mm-hmm. and those don't really match up a lot of the time with the best ways to kill Prime Speaker Zagana. Mm. Uh, quick quick uh, elimination spells like uh, Mizium Mortars and, and well, I guess Dreadbore works, but um, Mizium Mortars is not very good against Prime Speaker. It's not great against Reckoner, but it was one of the more common answers. So, you know, a little bit later after we kind of talked through some decks... You know, we got we have, or I'd like to maybe just talk about what we think some tech to help battle out what we, you know, some of these decks that we talk through. Because I think there's some cards that we're just not seeing uh, getting play right now that were that were basically, you know, mainstays of the Ravnica Innistrad format. Um, so I, mean, I guess you know maybe we could just get into it a little bit now. Um, like to me, where the heck did five color control go? You know, yeah. Where I've do- certainly been expecting um, Waffle Tapa to come up with a five color control list already. Well, and like where where are the Ali and Trazi lists? You know, where's like the where are the Travis Wu you know weird five color decks? We had we saw very early on at the Gate Crash, we saw unexpected results. You know, make a splash, but really, you know, the formats the formats very green right now. I mean, 
Uh, yeah. And I mean that literally. It has a lot of green. Most decks A lot are, of green cards, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you look at the top eight, uh, the top seven of the top eight are have green in them. Yeah, so does that, I mean, does that deter those kinds of decks from being in the format? Uh, it, you know, t- t- to me, I, I always thought that the reason that you didn't want to be, play those decks is the format is too fast. So, of course, you know, Adam Liu at the top of the list playing nine humans, that's like super fast. You're only out to that deck is, you know, Supreme Verdict, which, you know, they even run two Boros Charm to, mm-hmm. to, to thwart that plan. So, and, and Thalia, and Thalia is just like, you know, insane against those kinds of decks. So, you know, is are those hitting them out? Is it the Jund or is it a combination of just, you know, too much red green X decks or? Yeah, I think that it's possible that the, the Esper decks are getting, are, 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 they're not getting victimized by the very, very top decks, but they're getting, they have not the easiest matchups against decks like Prime Speaker, Bant, uh, and and Wolf Run Bant and Jund because you know Cavern of Souls naming Angel is pretty difficult to beat for those decks. Mm-hmm. Um, but on top of that, you're going to have to run into things like 14th places James Johnson playing Mono Red, mm-hmm. or uh, Junk Reanimator or Human Reanimator, and then you're also going to run into a Naya Blitz deck every once in a while. The, the the things that you have to answer are so varied. Right. that Esper has a hard time getting a foothold. Mm. And so when you enter a tournament, you have to have exactly the right answers at exactly the right time. And the, the one Esper control deck that made the top eight, Jack Fogle, um, who we've talked about on the show before, he was the one that won the uh, the the Legacy Open at the Invitational in Los Angeles as well as one of the draft opens in Los Angeles. He had right. two wins on the weekend. He was playing... Uh, the planner cleansing version uh, of the deck that had uh, must have had the right kind of answers this weekend. He's running Devour Flesh. Uh, he has one Dimir Charm, and he's running running three Think Twice, which a lot of people were cutting Think Twice uh, recently. So I think that he must have just had the right read on the metagame, and he's also a very solid player. But no one else really could break through. Uh, and 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 get the right mix of answers, mm-hmm. and I think that that's really just a symptom of the of there's being too many questions. You know, you have to be able to answer, uh, you know, uh, three three one drop creatures on the second turn. You also have to answer um, faithless looting, putting undercity informer and angel of glorious rise into the graveyard. You also have to answer. Uh, all these mid-range Rakdos return and Prime Speaker decks. So there's just too much, I think, that is going on. And you also have to remember Hellrider's a card and Obzadot is a card. And just have all these answers yeah. to all these various different types of things. So, okay, so I want to talk tech here because uh, this is something that I, I'm really excited to see maybe come back into the forefront yeah, uh, back when everybody was playing these, you know, clunky four color control decks, one of the most popular cards in the format was Alchemist Refuge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just being able to to instant your opponent, you know, play an end step Garuk or, um, you know, even silly stuff like Farseek and, and and random stuff like that was great. But really, the the primary uh, role of that card is to do two things. Or I should say primary, I guess, but uh, it is to play Thragtus at instant speed, but more importantly, play Supreme Verdict at instant speed. Right. So if your opponent's playing, you know, Prime Speaker Zagana, and that's their plan A is to 
play all these dumb idiots and then, you know, curve out with the prime speaker. And if you're playing counter spells, you could probably hold off one, but you're probably not holding off two. Um, you can play a wrath in response to the, to the prime speaker. And, uh, and all of a sudden they, their six mana card just becomes a one, one cantrip. It's actually not very good for them. Um, it also is, I, I think, randomly good against some of the decks that you just don't want to be playing your spells on your main phase. So, you know, the Esper, the Esper decks and the, and the Flash decks where, you know, tapping out is, is a big problem when your opponent can just untap, play Blasphemous Act when, with Reckoner on the board or, um, you know, play a giant uh, uh, Harvest Pyre. So I, I think that that's something that we may see, you know, where Bantless are splashing for a wolf run that I wouldn't be surprised if Esper lists splashed, um, you know, to, to get, got maybe into the Farseek game and maybe dumbed down white just a little bit or not dumbed down. Yeah. You know, one of the colors, probably black or white has to get dumbed down just a little bit so that you can make room for it and sort of get back into that four color control role. I don't know. It's just uh stuff that I've been thinking about. Sure. Yeah. I mean, this all comes back to the, the the format is just so wide open still that that you know not just the Esper control decks but all the decks need to have so many different answers that the answer decks are actually just worse right yeah and so having enormous threats like you know a seven seven prime speaker that refills your hand is that's just good enough right now is hey whoever draws the most cards wins. I mean, that's it, the kind of magic I like to see. It, well, and it's tough too, you know, because you're you're trying to fight down. Realistically, you have a deck that plays multiple Rakdos's return in the main deck. Yeah, and you know that that's that's a really tough bill to answer. You know, if you look at like uh, I use Stark's list because I think that's really the gold standard for Esper control right now. Until we see some sort of innovation, you know, he realistically only had a few counter spells in his main deck. So with one Rakdos return or two and, and a threat, you could just seal the game up right there. Um, you know, all the Supreme or Sphinx's revelations in the world won't save you if your opponent can nail one of those off pretty early. Sure. So I think that, that makes those answer decks just impossible to play when you have to face that, that, that kind of pressure down. I want to point out a, um, a piece of technology that caught up a little bit in popularity this weekend I've seen it as a one-of in a couple sideboards, maybe a two-of in a couple sideboards. I saw BBD tweet about it, um, and I think that you have some opinions on it as well. And that card's Assemble the Legion. Yeah, yeah. So Assemble the Legion, uh, or as BBD is calling it, Colonel Muster. <laughs> I hope that catches on. Because it gets the muster counters. Yeah, I like that a lot. That's a great one. Um. It is a uh, five-mana enchantment that does nothing when it comes into play, but can quickly take over a game, especially in these sort of mid-rangey battles. As the, the further the format goes back to the middle, mm. the better Assemble the Legion gets. Yes, that's a great assessment. Uh, so, so where do you think – do you think that that's where we're headed? I, I think we are. I think we are, um, you know, if you look at all three events, you don't see as many of the, you know, uh, Flinthoof Boar, Burning Tree Emissary, you know, Experiment One, you know, those kind of, um, you know, Jund or, or red-based aggro decks. I don't think you're seeing those as much. So a five-man enchantment really isn't out of the question. Right. Um, you know, if sort you of look at uh, 
the only of the of the tournaments this weekend, the only one that has a really aggressive looking couple decks in the top eight is the classic uh, from Columbia, where uh, Blue White Red Flash won and Jun Zombies got fourth. But even there, there's just not that much, even in the top sixteen. So, in case we have people that are driving and and are unsure what Assemble the Legion is. Um, so it's a enchantment from Gate Crash. It costs three red white, so five mana. And uh, so you put a counter on it during your upkeep, and then put a one one red white soldier creature with haste onto the battlefield for each token on, or with for each muster counter on it. So essentially, like like Ruben said, when you play it, it does nothing. Uh, second turn, it makes a guy. The third turn, you have you know two more guys. So if if your other guy didn't die, you have three. And it's sort of it's uh it's not geometric or exponential growth or whatever. It's just slow. It, it's slow. It just keeps getting bigger. Yeah, you get one, then you get two, then you get three. So I played against this the other night, and um, you know, I, I saw a few tweets about it over the co- a couple weeks. There's a couple guys that are you know buying big into it, so they've been buying all the copies they could at like 15 cents, and so I kind of like pay attention to that. You know, when someone sees a card like that, there's probably some uh, merit to to those claims. So I, I I had it played against me, and I'm I have like just the nut hand. Um, you know, I have a I have a counter spell. I just tapped out to Wrath away like a Reckoner and something else, and um, and so he plays Assemble the Legion, and I've got a Wrath and a and a Zori's Charm and an Angel and a Snapcaster, and I mean my hand's just f- full of stuff. And uh, so I'm, I'm thinking, okay, well, I could race this. I've got, you know, I got, I can play two angels and, you know, whatever. Next thing I know, I've wrathed twice, yep. and I'm facing down nine tokens attacking me, and I just couldn't, I just couldn't race it. I mean, I couldn't. And uh, so, you know, and then I thought, okay, well, maybe, I, maybe I just got, you know, blown out or whatever. But the next two games that we played, so that was the first, that was the first game. I'm like, if this guy resolves assembly, I'm dead. Yep, you know I have yeah. one out. I've I have a detention sphere. <laughs> hmm. So, yeah, that that's that was pretty yeah, interesting. People are not running a ton of answers. Um, you know, uh, planner cleansing I guess is seeing play in the yes. Esper control decks, and detention sphere has sort of fallen out of favor in the Esper control decks and a lot of other lists. So you're not seeing it as much. But really, beyond that, I mean, what else is there? There, there Golgari isn't a lot. charm, I guess. I mean, that's like no. it. And hey, no one's I, playing that card. I like Golgari charm. That's a that's a that's a pretty good one because I think it fights on two axes. I mean, you're you're fighting the you know, I think you're fighting the token or not the token the um, Gavney Township type decks. I think that that it fights on that axis too. But I mean, being yeah. able to kill Assemble Legion and and uh, you know some of the other pesky enchantments in the format, I think is good. Like rest in peace. So I wouldn't be surprised if the junk tokens or junk reanimator decks started playing more of those. I think that's a fine choice. Yeah. I think that as I mean, people will also find more answers once Assemble becomes more popular. You know, things like uh Erase is still in the format, for mm-hmm. example. Um, you know, there's lots of Ray Revelation. Blue, white, yeah, Ray of Revelation is a good one for the reanimator decks. I think yeah. a race is probably what the blue white red decks want. Yeah. So there's there's plenty out there. So. Yeah. So it, it, its success may be short lived, but I wouldn't be surprised if we have conversations about this card, you know, becoming good, becoming bad, you know, over the course of its life and standard. I mean, it's a it's a great card. I mean, I got I got thoroughly and and utterly crushed by it, um, just on its own. So. 
you know, I believe that it's a powerful card, but I think that the hate, I mean, you're talking about being able to offset your opponent tapping five mana to play this. Yep. I, I just don't know that that's what, like, I, I'm pretty sure this is just going to be sideboarded out um, every matchup that, uh, you know, that has an answer for it. Well, yeah, and I'm not sure you're going to main deck it. So, yeah, it's an interesting dichotomy there, right? So I, I think, you know, part of me thinks that this is main deck worthy, but it is a cyborg card, really, right? Because you just don't want this against an aggressive deck. So, but if it, if we're tilting toward a bunch of prime speaker decks, then this, then this is... This card's fine. Yeah, this is a great card to have in your main deck. I mean, how, do, how does that deck fight it? I mean, aside from flying over the air at you, I, I'm not buying that, that they could beat an Assembly Legion on the, on the board. Sure. So... Interesting, very interesting. So, any other so, decks from the event stand out to you as being, you know, ha- have any interesting tech or anything like that? You know, not really. I mean, we were seeing the, the interesting thing to me was there really wasn't any blue white red flash in Indy, where where that was the deck the week before. Right. Um, I I mean, thirteenth place at uh, the classic in Columbia was lingering Jund in standard. Which was kind of weird. Hmm. Um, I, I don't know how good Lingering Souls is right now. Um, I guess if the format's moving back towards the middle, you know, if it works for modern, yeah, works yeah, for me, sure. But uh, you know, um, there there hasn't been a ton of super interesting. I w- I will point out that the Human Reanimator decks are continuing to put up numbers, and they will continue to put up numbers until people recognize them. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's a totally reasonable statement. Ooh, I just noticed top eight at Grand Prix Verona, Max Schultz, blue white red reckoner with two main deck assemble the legions. Yeah, yeah, and I think that, that it fits in very well there. Um, I have a kind of a funny story uh, about assemble the legion. This is just like, you know, sometimes wizards creates. Um, a mechanic that makes the creation of a deck like really obvious. Right. So, um, you know, if you put unbarrel rights in the same set as, you know, some other enabler, then, you know, you can create some sort of flashback deck or, you know, like the, the burning vengeance deck or affinity yeah. or an infect or whatever. Um, astral slide. Oh, yeah. Astral slide. Sure. So I, I, I played against the deck that had assemble the legions also had just like a, a slew of random cards that I'd never played against. So it just felt like, uh, either this person was so ahead of the curve, like they just understood the, you know, exactly what they were doing, or they were just cramming a bunch of cards. They had no idea what they're doing. So this list had Obsidad and, and Chandra 3.0 and Rakdos return and, and vampire Nighthawk and, um, and so it's it just like, I had this weird assortment of cards anyway. Um, so Chris Lansdell, he's a guy on Twitter he posts that I, I want to play a deck with Obsidat, Bonfire the Damned, and um, Assemble the Legion. And I'm like, yeah, I, I must have played against you last night. He's like, oh, no, that, that wasn't me. I don't own those cards. And then, like, a few tweets later, it's like, I just want to play Demonic Uprising, whatever that card is, um, the enchantment. The, and I'm, and I'm the like, the five man enchantment when you control one creature? Yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, that that was in there too. So I just thought that was like just the the biggest coincidence that this guy doesn't he doesn't play any Magic online. How Ra- strange! Randomly, he's just like, I want to play a deck with these six cards. I'm like, yeah, that's what I played against last night. So how? And that's like not an obvious interaction at all to, to play Obsidian and Bonfire, and I, it's just 
Well, how do those cards fit together? I don't get it. And they don't. They don't. I mean, he's basically he's either like he's just again, looking to throw all of the biggest haymakers that no one has answers to in the same deck. I guess that's I guess that's what it is. It, well, I mean, in that demon card, what's it, what did you call it again? Demonic Dem- rising. Demonic rising. That is an interesting card. That it's yeah. That one is an interesting one with Obsidian. Yeah, Obsidian. Uh, I, like I would not be surprised. I think right now we're – I just don't think it's the right time for Obsidat. But I think once Thragtusk leaves, you know, we've kind of yeah, lost – Yeah, once Thragtusk, maybe Thunder My Hellkite, get out of the picture. Yeah, I mean, look at their casting costs. Yeah, exactly. They're five drops. So, I mean, Obsidat's just not the five drop you want to be playing right now. But, that would uh, be Assemble the Legion, sir. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we take we take those two out and replace them with Obsidat and Assemble Legions. And everybody's playing red, white, black. I saw someone was playing, uh, speaking of red, white, black, I saw a picture, I forget who posted it, of Assemble the Legion and uh, Descent into Madness. What in the, oh, is that the Sacrifice That's That's permanent? the Smokestack one, yeah. Yeah, wow, that's kind of magical Christmas land. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> Get two five-drop enchantments on the board. But if nobody yeah. has enchantment hate, hey, you know what, you, you do what you do, brother. Nice, nice. Um, so... I have something that I think is kind of interesting. Um, there is a list that, like, we're not seeing in any of these top eights, and that's the Aristocrats. Yeah. So what I the hell? That. So I have a theory. Let's hear it. I'm I'm curious. All right. Well, first of all, I think Aristocrats did top eight uh, Quebec City, which is the week after the pro. Sure. That. Yep. Yeah. So to be fair, um, and I've seen it pop up every once in a while. I think there was one in the top 16 last week of the SCG Open. Uh, but you're right. We're not seeing it nearly as much as you might expect having seen it so popular the week before. Mm-hmm. Or at the Pro Tour, I should say. Um, there are a couple things at play here. Number one, Sam Black designed decks do not have a history of being highly played. Hmm. Um, if you look at the, if you look at, at, at Sam Black's past deck designs, uh, they are not nearly as highly adopted as let's say Brad Nelson designed decks or Brian Kibler designed decks even. Is that, is it, is that because they're complicated or I, and, and I've, I've been trying to figure out why, because clearly the decks work. Yeah. Cause he keeps playing them and he keeps winning with the walking dead, but people don't play the walking dead in legacy, Mm -hmm. right? even though he top eight at a Grand Prix and is always in play for top eight. Um, there's a couple things at play here. One, they use, they always use the weird cards and mm. people aren't very good at, I, I'm not going to say that's a little bit of a generalization. Many people prefer to play cards that are powerful rather than synergies that are powerful. Sure. And Sam Black's decks are always the super synergistic. Everything meshes together decks and don't have obvious power. Because you'd rather play a Tarmogoyf than a Goblin Bombardment. That's a true statement. Right? So that's that's one thing that's at play. The other thing is, all of his decks are like red, white, black. And red, white, black has like never been a popular three-color combination. The Oros. Yeah, Oros. Or um, uh, what what would the... I guess that would be Dega Volver. 
Oh yeah, the, the right? good, the, nice. The, you actually the, got it the right. The Dago wedge. <laughs> Wait, no, is it a Dago over? Uh, I, I think know. so. I think it's the white one that has the black and the red kick. Look, somebody can fact check me on that later. No one's going to fact um, check you. Fine. <laughs> I guarantee someone writes in the comments, "You were wrong. It was it was like, Anabover, you idiot." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that combination. I'm I'm sure if he he built more black, blue, green stuff, you know, if he built more bug decks, people would play them because people like blue cards. You know what I mean? Tarmogoyf is a, is a is a card that people just try to shoehorn into things. So it's just I think that there's a couple things in play here. Um, with that all that said. I, I think they're wrong. I think that that deck is inherently powerful. There are so many interesting things happening with that deck. Clearly, it's tough to play against yeah. because all, people just have no idea, even when they're playing against the deck and have seen the list, know exactly what they're doing. I mean, so, if you want a case study in that, just go watch any of the feature matches from the Pro Tour. Yeah. I mean, it, there, there were so many situations where, I mean... There are multiple, multiple lines. I mean, when you when you have a sacrifice outlet on the board, your decision trees get extended. Every single decision you make gets extended by one because you have an on-board interaction that you have to be thinking of. Yep. So you you saw, for example, in the finals when Thunder My Hellkite from Joel Larson was attacking Tom. After the trigger went on the stack for dealing the damage, Tom sacrificed his Doom Traveler to make a spirit. Right. Block it, then end of turn, Orzhov charm his Doom Traveler back to play. Yeah. Right? So he just had, like, gain 10 life for two mana. <laughs> yeah. It stonewalled your guy for two turns just because you have a sack outlet. No, yeah. There's no other combination of cards that can really do what that did. So that's that's one thing. The other thing about that, that deck that's um, – it's interesting to me. It's really, you know, why why people aren't playing it is Lingering Souls, man, is clearly a powerful magic card. It's won a Legacy Grand Prix in the hands of Tom Martell. It's won Modern Grand Prix. It, I guess it's won Standard Grand Prix, but it hasn't really done as much in Standard as these other formats. Which is surprising. I mean, if you see Wizards... I think after that card was printed, they basically were sitting there biting their nails, sort of looking mm-hmm. through the looking glass, like, all right. Look at Gatecrash. Look how much hate there is <laughs> for Lingering Souls in Gatecrash. Yeah, there, there is a lot of Because they're like, hate. well, Orzov's going to be a guild. We have to print every hate card. Yeah. Right? I, I still think, you know, I wish they did a retrospective on blocks and were like, hey, idiots – Guess what interaction you guys missed? Yes. Uh, you know, I, I wish they would do that because sometimes I, I guarantee that the future future league is just sitting on their hands being <laughs> like I hope they don't realize that this card just blows everything out of the water. Yeah, I think uh it, as close as we've gotten to, you know, the blowout interaction would be, you know, something like Angel of Glory's Rise or, you know, and a lot of times they just don't catch them. Like this Splinter Twin thing somehow just mm-hmm. didn't get caught. And um, but I would love to see if they're like if there was just some you know two cards or three cards that play well together like oh yeah if you play Cartel Aristocrat with you know whatever card you just can't lose a match of Magic in this format right but, but then again you know we evolve metagames way faster than Future Future League could ever involve them I mean sure. you know this just this weekend alone we had three thousand players playing high level Magic you know that's Absolutely, yeah that and that's much- not even counting tournaments happening in asia yeah yeah or you know like i said fnms or just guys just sitting on a kitchen table or, or moto 
for crying right. out loud. So, you know, in one day of Magic play, there's probably more tournament data than in a month worth of future Future League testing. I mean, I, I don't think that's a presumptuous... I don't think that's a stretch at all. Yeah. I, I would completely agree. So, speaking of Moto... Moto, yes. Big announcement on the mothership recently from Chris Kiritz. Uh he wrote it on Thursday. Let me get the uh, the announcement going on here. Lots of things happen. So we have several things happening on Magic Online in the next several updates. Uh, top of the list. 2012 Magic Online Championship Series participants, winners, I guess. Yeah. Uh, the 16 of them will get Pro Tour invitations. I think like- this, is a, this is a pretty big deal. Yeah, this is a big deal, and uh, I recognize I recognize the handles, of course, and of course the people, the folks at home will probably recognize names like Goobafish, DZY, mm-hmm. uh, Jack Sad. You know, these are names that you see pop up all the time in daily and and mocks uh, uh, lists. So it's it's good to see. You know, um, just like when poker sort of crossed the bridge. Uh, between the online players coming out to real events. I'm excited for this kind of crossover. And, you know, players like FF Freak and Reader Rabbit have translated online success into real-world success yeah. pretty successfully. So I'm excited for that. So I, I think – well, I'll get into my thoughts on this because I think it ties directly into the other two announcements that they made mm-hmm. for this. So I'll go into the next one. So the next one is uh, Grand Prix Trials come to Magic Online. Yep. So this is pretty cool. And – I think that this is actually a really, really big, important announcement because ultimately I think that the Grand Prix trial program is a – I won't say it's a failure, but I think it's its its run its course. Hmm. I just don't think people give a crap about Grand Prix trials. The only people that care about them are people that are going to a Grand Prix. And so if you run them locally, they they typically have very low attendance. Yeah. You need to have a Grand Prix, like, you need to have a Grand Prix in the area. In the area. So that's, to, to me, I think it's a nice way to get people excited about playing at a Grand Prix. So, you know, we have uh, Grand Prix come to Columbus. Our local shops are in Grand Prix trials. It's a much bigger deal then. But even then, it was, like, so awkward. The last time that our shop got a Grand Prix trial, it wasn't even for the Grand Prix that was in two weeks. Huh. It was for, like... Atlanta or something, and I'm and I live in Columbus. It was silly, so you could never like decide which you know when you wanted to apply the buys, whatever. So the the announcement is that on April 6, Magic Online will host a trial for Grand Prix Portland, uh, which is in May, and uh, so th- they will award buys out via the online platform. So what I see this doing is, you know, I think this is going to attract a lot of grinders and mid level players to Magic Online who don't normally play Magic Online because buys are so important to success at the Grand Prix level. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you look at even someone like yourself, Ruben, if you're like, okay, I'm going to this Grand Prix now, you're you're into Moto now, but you weren't, you know, a year ago. Right. And someone said, hey, there's a standard Grand Prix trial for whatever, and it costs you know twenty five dollars to get into, and there's a bunch of prize and whatever. You'd say, "Hey, oh, yeah. you know what? I'm I'm into that." I, Absolutely, I, I'm- I've never played in a standard event on Magic Online. 
But if I want to play in a trial, I would absolutely try to find a deck. Yeah. You know. You know, the, in the, the, it, it's, it's basically run like a daily event. So, um, you know, it, it runs first place gets three qualifier points and buys, um, and then, you know, gate crash packs, and then it pays out through eighth place, 128 players. So it's, Pretty uh, good. I guess it's maybe more like a premier event or whatever, yeah. uh, whatever, how you, have you make the distinction. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. And, and then we'll d- go into the last one because I think these all three tie together. Um, they, they're all very similarly themed. So what's the last announcement that they have here? So the next announcement on the list, which is a huge deal. I think this is the biggest announcement on the thing that uh, that Chris Kiritz had here. Chris, by the way, he's a business manager for Magic Online. That's why he was the one. That, you might not have recognized the name, but uh, he's he's the one delivering this announcement. And the reason why he delivered this announcement, I believe, instead of perhaps one of the more known names like Worth mm-hmm. or uh, one of the other uh, des- uh, developers, is the introduction of promo codes to redeem products online. This, this is a is- huge deal. Okay, so what what are the implications? Like, we'll talk through it because I okay. I didn't understand it when I first heard it. So. All right, so the the line that they say is introduction of promotional codes that can be entered for product online beginning March thirteenth, two thousand thirteen, which will be the update in which we can do that, such as by purchasing paper products, attending events and conventions, or interacting on social media. So here's what they can do now: you buy a fat pack. Yeah. At your local LGS. Yeah. Inside of your fat pack is a promo code that lets you redeem a fat pack online. <laughs> that's right? That's a pretty big game. That's the kind of thing that you can do. Right. You can go to Gen Con, get a promo code, type it in, and get a special Gen Con promo card. This? You can, you can go to PAX and get a draft set. These are – this is enormous. Like, I don't think that people under are I, – I, I haven't heard almost anything about this. I think that this is like the biggest deal for Moto in a very long time. I mean all three of these are really important announcements. So, yes. okay. They sort of – I feel like they buried the lead with this one. But yeah, I, I definitely point. think that this needs some more – some more limelight here. Okay, so the the implications of this are huge. First of all, I just need to say something because I last week I sort of ranted on about I, how I thought you know Magic Online as a platform is just a kind of a joke and uh, they just they just don't take it as seriously as they should. And and we've had conversations offline about why we think this is. We don't think that it's worth getting into on a show, but ultimately. In my eyes, the way that Magic Online achieves the success that Wizards wants and that will please the players is that it becomes a social tool. That it becomes a way that integrates with Paper Magic, not become a separate product. Because there's so much, there's so much different. There's so, uh, there's so different products that there's no cohesion between any promos you do at a Pro Tour or at FNM. Or on Magic Online, there, there's nothing you know that ties them all together. So you know, to start at the top of our list, doing things like Pro Tour invites for mocks and doing GPTs, those are direct tie-ins to you know want to push Matt, the success of Magic Online through paper events. Yeah, 
and, and vice versa. Of course, you know, doing an online event that incentivizes you to play in a paper event. So this adds, you know, I, I think that the direction for Magic Online would ultimately be to tie all of these things together and make it a social platform where, you know, if you wanted to play, you, you could get like FNM information through your, your through Magic Online. You could get, you know, if you're, you're going to get Grand Prix trials, then you could do that through there. You could watch coverage through there. You could stream through there. I mean, this is something that I think, uh, you know, a good company to benchmark would be Sony. Mm-hmm. Um, if you watched any of the announcement of the PlayStation 4, and I, I don't even know if I touched on this last week, but they are basically making the PlayStation 4 a social uh, console. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they probably spent millions and millions of dollars figuring out, you know, what what people want. And, you know, things like streaming, that should just be out of the box. You should Absolutely. just be able to click a button that says stream and have it tied to your Twitch account to your Moto name. And then have anybody who's on Magic Online just be able to watch whatever you're doing because you're streaming. Sure. I, yeah, I think, I think that it's it's yeah. I think that uh, that's just free advertising for Wizards. So I don't know why, you know, if it's something that they that's possible. And clearly, if Sony can do it, we should be able to figure out how to reverse engineer that, right? Yeah. So, um, but more importantly to me is that we're instead of trying to catch up to Sony, who's obviously a giant in the gaming industry, sure. and we're you know just a little division of Hasbro and all, but we're catching up to like WoW cards. Sure. With the World of Warcraft trading card game, you've been able to open a pack, and sometimes you get the little promo guy. Yeah. You scratch yeah. it off like a lottery ticket, and you type in that code, and then you get the thing online. And that may and that's exciting. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I I had some wow packs I bought uh, through a company that distributed some boxes, and I opened them, and, I, and that was exciting to see like that they had that presence. And this adds, I think, a whole new dimension, right? So, uh, you know, for F and M, you win F and M, you get an F and M promo and a promo code mm-hmm. that you can get the F and M promo on Magic Online. Absolutely. Well, that certainly makes me want to play in Paper Magic more if I can just get the same, you know, prize that I got at my F and M and put it on Magic Online. So you're, you're attracting, you know, that audience. And then, you know, like you said, I think, you know, buy a fat pack, get a fat pack. That's not maybe super realistic, but I mean, you're probably not far off from, you know, if you bought a fat pack to Then be, you get like a coupon on, on a discount for the fat pack. Yeah. Or even or just, you know, like I think packaging promos are like, Hey, playing a game day. Well, we'll give you the game day promo. And if you top right. eight a game day, we'll give you a different promo. Code. I mean, the, the possibilities are endless here. And really the end game is increase the number of people playing a magic online. That's right. And this will do that 100%. Yeah. And so I think that, um, and if you have more ideas out there, guys, I want to hear where you think this is going to go because we've only scratched the surface on where promo codes can go. I think that it's possible, uh, even probable that you can type in a code and get promotional tokens mm. or uh, promotional avatars or backgrounds or things like that. It, it, that's exactly, you know, the success of these games that we're competing against are built on that platform. I mean, what, what Wizards should be aspiring to be is the number one most watched game on Twitch TV. Let's and not. It's, it's going to be tough, but well, it's not out of the question. The the thing that about Twitch is that let's not treat it like it's 
some, you know, homebrewed streaming application. I mean, this is, this is, this is gaming TV. This is the future of online gaming and paper gaming really for us, uh, is through Twitch. So let's treat it with the respect that it deserves and let's build a platform that will allow our product to, to reach out to hundreds of thousands of magic players all over the world. I mean, there's no reason that, you know, it's kind of funny, you know, the pro tour, the numbers got up to what, like 30,000, uh, 28,000, I think was the number. Although I could be wrong. It could be up to 30,000. I know that there's about 8,000 people watching the finals of Verona as we record this. Yeah. I mean, and I think that that's a, that's a good place to be. I mean, but why not add another zero to it? Why, why shouldn't a pro tour get a hundred thousand viewers? I mean, there should be enough players that would want to watch the pro tour uh, or, you know, who care about magic that, that should want to watch the pro tour. I don't know. So, so to me, I, I think this is a step to expose magic online to more people. So I would not be surprised if all of these things are on their whiteboard as to do's yep. for magic online. So just to briefly go over the last couple announcements. Oh yeah. Made, yeah. Cause there are more. Yeah. There's just a couple more. The trade limit was increased from 75 to 400 items at a time. That's, I mean, that's a huge deal for me. I, I'm really appreciative of that. Yeah. I figured that, you know, for, for folks like cranny or the, or the dealers out there, uh, or even just the major traders, um, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a big relief to not have to, you know, limit yourself to just a deck. Yeah. Um, and lastly, the next major update to the beta client is going to occur also during the March 13th downtime. That'd be interesting. I, I, have, I haven't used the beta yet, so I don't like it, uh, <laughs> at all. <laughs> sure. Um, but you know, part of it is that like my muscle memory, when I click on, the okay button. I'm like, so, you know, after how many years, six years or whatever, using this client five years, I'm so used to it being in one spot. So imagining like my phases going up along the bottom of the screen and the okay button being in like the bottom left as opposed to the middle left, like that to me is just like, just obnoxious. But if it's a sure. better product, like my, my muscle memory will get used to it. But right now it's just not a better product. It's just not very good. So hopefully this is this is what we want. But like with with these kinds of announcements, I have no doubt that the UX you know improvements are just around the corner. I hope. Hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that could be optimistic, but uh, you know, I don't I don't rule anything out. Uh, you know, at this point. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't. It's know, uh, man. it's going to be interesting this next uh, to see what happens with, with this. Uh, with these announcements and these new changes, because it's entirely possible that the face of magic changes for good or for bad. Like mm. somebody accident, if they forget something and somebody hacks the promo system, that's, that's it, man. That's the end. Yeah, that, that would, that would not be good. Also, I think you have to worry about if you put a promo in a pack that gets sold five years from now, what, you know, can you still, redeem that or, you know, it's just, it's a lot, it's a lot of, uh, programming and a lot of probably infrastructure that has to be looked at. And it's, it's pretty significant stuff here. I mean, <laughs> yeah, but, but cool, but, but cool. So I'm glad they're dipping their toe in the water and, uh, yeah, very, very awesome. So, um, I don't have a lot more to add on the moto topic. I think we kind of covered what we wanted to on the yep. tournament side. Do you have any additional thoughts for, for this week before we close out nope. the show? 
I, I got nothing else for this week. Uh, I'm recording the next news inning next week. Um, so stay tuned for that. I'll be at DC if you want stickers or tokens. And the April Fool's Day episode of Magic the News inning. It's going to be coming out on April 1st, so stay tuned for that. Fantastic. Well, I don't have anything to add on my end. It's been a relatively quiet time. I don't really do a lot of writing or anything unless a new set comes out. So I'm kind of just riding the wave, taking it easy, you know. <laughs> sure. You know how it goes, the, the dude type stuff. But uh, anyway, well, fantastic. Well, uh, we appreciate everybody tuning in. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at KStube. Of course, we wish that Joey could have been here, but he's an indie. You can follow him at Affinity for Blue. You can follow Ruben at MoxRuby. That's M-O-X-R-U-B-Y. R-E-U. R-U-B-Y. I think that's what I said. And I thought you said R-U. Sorry. And uh, you can follow the show at In Contention, and then we also have a Facebook page. Yeah, so just search for In Contention on Facebook, and uh, be sure to follow us there, and sign up for our RSS feed, which will be in the show notes. So uh, we fantastic. Have, if you have any thoughts on the moto thing, or you know any of the standard stuff, you think there's some tech we're missing on, I would be very interested to hear that because I'm kind of I've been playing a lot of standard lately, so I, I'd like to know that. Um, otherwise. Thanks for listening, and until next time, we are in contention.